0: Section Five of *The White Wolf* and Other Fireside Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kate Fallis. *The White Wolf* and Other Fireside Tales by Sir Arthur Thomas Quiller Couch victor parts one through three part one you will ruin his life said one of the two women as the phrase escaped her she remembered or seemed to remember having met with it in half a dozen novels she had nerved herself for the interview which up to this moment had been desperately real but now she felt herself losing grip it had all happened before somewhere she was reacting an old scene going through a part the four or five second-hand words gave her the sensation then she reflected that the other woman too had perhaps met them before in some cheap novelette and being an uneducated person would probably find them the more impressive for that the other woman had in fact met them before in the pages of Beau bells and had been impressed by them but since then love had found her ignorant and left her wise wiser than in her humiliation she dared to guess and yet the wiser for being humiliated she answered in a curiously dispassionate voice I think, Miss, his life is ruined already. That is, if he sent you to say all this to me. He did not. Miss Bracy lifted the nose and chin, which she inherited from several highly distinguished crusaders, and gave the denial sharply and promptly, looking her ex-maid straight in the face. She had never to use her own words stood any nonsense from Bassett, but Bassett, formerly so docile though as it now turned out so deceitful who had always known her place and never answered her mistress but with respect was to-day an unrecognisable basset not in the least impudent But, as certainly not to be awed or browbeaten, standing in the glare of discovered misconduct, under the scourge of her shame, the poor girl had grasped some secret strength which made her invincible. "'But I think, miss,' she answered, "'Mr. Frank must have known you was coming.' and this miss bracy could not deny she had never told a lie in her life it is very likely no it is certain that he guessed she admitted and if so it comes to the same thing "'Bassett persisted, with a shade of weariness in her voice. "'You ungrateful girl, you ungrateful and quite extraordinary girl! First, you inveigle that poor boy at the very outset of his career, "'and then, when upon a supposed point of honour, he offers to marry you. "'A supposed point, miss? Do you say supposed?' not one in a thousand would offer such a redemption and even he cannot know what it will mean to his life what it will cost him i shall tell him miss said bassett quietly and his parents what do you suppose they would say were they alive his poor mother for instance bassett dismissed this point silently to Miss Bracy, the queerest thing about the girl was the quiet, practical manner she had put on so suddenly. You said, Miss, that Mr. Frank wants to make amends on a supposed point of honour. Don't you think it a real one? Miss Bracey, somewhat high, cheekbones showed two red spots. Because he offers it, it doesn't follow that you ought to accept and that's the whole point.' She wound up viciously. Bassett sighed that she could not get her question answered. "'You will excuse me, miss, but I never inveigled him, as you say. That I deny, and if you ask Mr. Frank, he will bear me out. Not that it's any use trying to make you believe,' she added, with a drop back to her old level tone as she saw the other's eyebrows go up. It was indeed hopeless, Miss Bracy being one of those women who take it for granted that a man has been inveigled as soon as his love affairs run counter to their own wishes or taste, and who thereby reveal an estimate of man for which, in the end, they are pretty sure to pay heavily all her answer now was a frankly incredulous stare you won't believe me miss it's not your fault i know you can't believe me but i loved mr frank miss bracy made a funny little sound high up in her crusader nose that the passions of gentlemen were often ill-regulated she knew It disgusted her but she recognized it as real danger to be watched by their anxious relatives. That love, however, what she understood by love, could be felt by the lower orders, the people who walked together and kept company before mating, was too incredible, even if driven by evidence to admit the fact she would have set it down to the pernicious encroachment of board-school education and remarked that a little knowledge is a dangerous thing love my poor child don't profane a word you cannot possibly understand a nice love indeed that shows itself by ruining his life that second-hand phrase again again as it slipped out the indomitable basset dealt it another blow i am not sure miss that i love him any longer in the same way i mean i should always have a regard for him for many reasons and because he behaved honourably in a way but i couldn't quite believe in him as i did before he showed himself weak well of all the Miss Bracy's lips were open for a word to fit this offence when Bassett followed it up with a worse one. "'I beg your pardon, miss, but you are so fond of Mr. Frank. Supposing I refused his offer, would you marry him yourself?' the girl too meant it quite seriously in her tone was no trace of impudence she had divined her adversary's secret and thrust home the question with a kind of anxious honesty miss bracy red and gasping tingling with shame yet knew that she was not being exalted over she dropped the unequal fight between conventional argument and naked insight and stood up woman to woman she neither denied nor exclaimed she too told the truth never she paused after what has happened i would never marry my cousin i thought that miss You mean it, I am sure, and it eases my mind, because you have been a good mistress to me, and it would always have been a sorry thought that I'd stood in your way, not that it would have prevented me. Do you still stand there and tell me that you will hold this unhappy boy to his word? He's twenty-two, miss, my own age. Yes, I shall hold him to it to save yourself no miss for his own sake then miss bracy's laugh was passing bitter no miss though there might be something in that for whose then the girl did not answer but in the silence her mistress understood and moved to the door she was beaten and she knew it beaten and unforgiving in the doorway she turned. It is not for your own sake that you persist. It was not to gratify yourself, to be made a lady, that you plotted this. Very well, you shall be taken at your word. I cannot counsel Frank against his honour, if he insists, and you still accept the sacrifice. He shall marry you but from that hour you understand you have seen the last of him. I know Frank well enough to promise it. She paused to let the words sink in and watch their effect. This was not only cruel, but a mistake, for it gave Bassett, who was past caring for it, the last word. If you do, miss she said drearily yet with a mind made up i dare say that will be best part two long before i heard this story i knew three of the characters in it just within the harbor beside which I am writing this, on your left as you enter it from the sea, a little creek runs up past Battery Point, to a stout seawall with a turfed garden behind it, and a low cottage, and behind these a steep-sided valley, down which a stream tumbles to a granite conduit it chokes and overflows the conduit is caught again into a granite-covered gutter by the door of the cottage and emerges beyond it in a small cascade upon the beach at spring tides the sea climbs to the foot of this cascade and great then is the splashing the land birds tits and warblers come down to the very edge to drink but none of them unless it be the wagtail will trespass on the beach below the rooks and gulls on their side never forage above the cascade but when the ploughing calls them inland mount and cross the frontier line high overhead all day long in summer the windows of the cottage stand open and its rooms are filled with song and night and day summer and winter the inmates move and talk wake and sleep to the contending music of the waters it had laid tenantless for two years when one spring morning miss bracy and mr frank bracy arrived and took possession they came for aught we knew out of nowhere but they brought a good many boxes six cats and a complete set of new muslin blinds on their way they purchased a quart of fresh milk and mr frank fed the cats while miss bracy put up the blinds In the afternoon, a long van arrived with a load of furniture, and we children who had gathered to watch were rewarded by a sensation when the van started by disgorging an artist's lay figure, followed by a suit of armor. From these to a mahogany chest of drawers with brass handles was a sad drop, and we never regained the high romance of those first few minutes but the furniture was undeniably handsome and when miss bracy stepped out and offered us sixpence apiece to go and annoy somebody else we came away convinced that our visitors were persons of exceptionally high rank it puzzled us afterwards that though a bargain is a bargain not one of us had stayed to claim his sixpence the newcomers brought no servants but after a week there arrived also out of nowhere an elderly and taciturn cook also miss bracy on the third morning walked up to the farm at the head of the valley and hired down the hinds second daughter for a help we knew this girl lizzie truscott and waylaid her on her homeward road that evening for information she told us that Miss Bracy's cats had a cradle, a piece, lined with muslin over pink calico, that the window curtains inside reached from the ceilings to the floors, that the number of knives and forks was something cruel, one kind for fish, another for meat, and a third for fruit, that in one of the looking-glasses a body could see herself at one time from head feet though why you should want a looking-glass to see your feet in when you could see them without was more than she knew and finally that miss bracy had strictly forbidden her to carry tails a behest which convinced that miss bracy had dealings with the evil one she meant to observe the elderly cook when she arrived warned us away from the door with a dialect we did not recognize her name lizzie reported was deborah and in our haste we set her down for a jewess but i seem to have detected her accent since and a few of her pet phrases in the pages of scottish fiction this is all i can tell so fitful are childish memories of the coming of miss bracy and mr frank i cannot say for instance what gossip it bred or how soon they wore down the edge of it and became with their eccentricities an accepted feature of the spot they had made their home they made no friends no acquaintances every one knew of miss bracy's cats but few had seen them miss bracy herself was on view in church every sunday morning when mr frank walked with her as far as the porch he never entered the building but took a country walk during service returning in time to meet her at the porch and escort her home his other walks he took alone and almost always at night the policeman tramping towards four turnings after midnight to report to the country patrol would meet him and pause for a minute's chat night wandering beasts foxes and owls and hedgehogs knew his footstep and unlearned their first fear of it sometimes but not often you might surprise him of an afternoon seated before an easel in some out-of-the-way corner of the cliffs but if you paused then to look he too paused and seemed inclined to smudge out his work the vicar put it about that mr frank had formerly been a painter of fame and being an astute man one day decoyed him into his library where hung an engraving of a picture amos barton by one f bracy it had made a small sensation at burlington house a dozen years before and the vicar liked it for the pathos of its subject an elderly clergyman beside his wife's deathbed To him the picture itself could have told little more than this engraving, which utterly failed to suggest the wonderful color and careful work the artist, a young man with a theory and enthusiasm to back it, had lavished on the worn carpet and valances of the bed, as well as on the chestnut hair of the dying woman glorified in the red light of sunset." Mr. Frank glanced up at the engraving, and turned his face away. It was the face of a man taken at unawares, embarrassed, almost afraid. The vicar, who had been watching him, intending some pleasant remark about the picture, saw at once that something was wrong— and, with great tact, kept the talk upon some petty act of charity in which he sought to enlist his visitor's help. Mr. Frank listened, gave his promise hurriedly, and made his escape. He never entered the vicarage again. Part three. Eighteen years had passed since Miss Bracy's interview with Bassett, and now late on a summer afternoon she and mr frank were pacing the little waterside garden while they awaited their first visitor mr frank betrayed the greater emotion or at any rate the greater nervousness since breakfast he had been unable to sit still or to apply himself to any piece of work for ten minutes together until Miss Bracy suggested the lawn-mower and brought purgatory upon herself with that lawn-mower all the afternoon he had been rattling her brain to fiddle-strings as she put it and working himself into a heat which obliged a change of clothes before tea the tea stood ready now on a table which deborah had carried out into the garden dainty linen and silverware and flowered china dishes heaped with cakes of which only scots women know the secrets the sun dropping behind at battery point slanted its rays down through the pine trunks and over the fiery massed plumes of rhododendrons scents of jasmine and of shorn grass mingled with the clean breath of the sea borne to the garden wall on a high tide tranquil and clear so clear that the eye following for a hundred yards the lines of the cove could see the feet of the cliffs where they rested three fathoms down on lily-white sand miss bracy these clean depths she had missed much that life could have given but at least she had found a life comely and to her mind she had sacrificed much but at times she forgot how much in contemplating the modest elegance of the altar she wore this evening a gown of purplish silk with a light cashmere scarf about her shoulders Nothing could make her a tall woman, but her grey hair, dressed high, a la Imperatrice, gave her dignity at least, and an air of old-fashioned distinction. She was one of those few and fortunate ladies, who never need to worry about the appearance of their cavaliers. Mr. Frank, six feet of him, without reckoning a slight stoop always satisfied the eye his grey flannel suit fitted loosely but fitted well his wide-brimmed straw hat was as faultless as his linen his necktie had a negligent neatness you felt sure alike and at once of his bootmaker and his shirtmaker and his fresh complexion his prematurely white hair his strong well-kept hands completed the impression of cleanliness for its own sake of a careful physical cult, as far as possible removed from foppery this may have been in miss bracy's mind when she began i dare say he will be fairly presentable to look at that unfortunate woman had at least an art of dressing a quiet taste too quite extraordinary in one of her station i often wondered where she picked it up mr frank winced until the news of his wife's death came a fortnight ago her name had not been spoken between them for years that he and his cousin regarded her very differently he knew but while silence was kept it had been possible to ignore the difference now it surprised him that speech should hurt so and at the same moment that his cousin should not divine how sorely it hurt after all, he was the saddest evidence of poor Bassett's ladylike tastes. "'I suppose you know nothing of the school she sent him to,' Miss Bracy went on. "'King William's, or whatever it is.' "'King Edward's,' Mr. Frank corrected. "'Yes, I made inquiries about it at the time, ten years ago. People speak well of it.' not a public school of course at least not quite the line isn't so easy to draw nowadays but it turns out gentlemen in her heart miss bracy thought him too hopeful but she said he wrote a becoming letter his hand by the way curiously suggests yours it was quite a nice letter and agreeably surprised me i shouldn't wonder if his headmaster had helped him with it and cut out the boy's heroics for of course she must have taught him to hate us my dear laurel why in the world began mr frank testily oh she had spirit The encounter, of long ago, rose up in Miss Bracy's memory, and she nodded her head with conviction. Like most of the quiet ones, she had spirit. You don't suppose, I imagine, that she forgave? No. Mr. Frank came to a halt, and dug with his heel at a daisy root in the turf. Then, using his heel as a pivot, he swung himself round in an awkward circle— the action was ludicrous almost but he faced his cousin again with serious eyes but it is not her heart that i doubt he added gently miss bracy stared up at him my dear frank do you mean to tell me that you regret yes as a fact he did regret and knew that he would never cease to regret he was not a man to nurse malice even for a wrong done to him still less to live carelessly conscious of having wronged another he was weak but incurably just and more though self entered last into his regret he knew perfectly well that the wrong had wrecked him too his was a career manque. He had failed as a man, and it had broken his nerve as an artist. He was a dabbler now, with, as Hine said of de Musset, a fine future behind him, and none but an artist can tell the bitterness of that self knowledge. Had he kept his faith with Bassett in spirit as in letter, he might have failed just as decidedly her daily companionship might have coarsened his inspiration soured him driven him to work cheaply recklessly but at least he could have accused fate circumstance a boyish error whereas now he and his own manhood shared the defeat and the responsibility Yes, he regretted, but it would never do to let Laura know his regret. That would be to play the double traitor. She had saved him, she believed, from himself with utterly wrong-headed loyalty. She had devoted her life to this. The other debt was irredeemable, but this at any rate could be paid. He evaded her question, my dear. He said what was done has been atoned for by her and is being atoned for by by us let us think of her without bitterness miss bracy shook her head i am a poor sort of christian she confessed and if she has taught this boy to hate us mr victor bracy announced deborah from the garden porch behind them and a tall youth in black stepped past her and came across the turf with a shy smile the pair turned with an odd sense of confusion almost of dismay they were prepared for the victor but somehow they had not thought of him as bearing their own surname mr frank had felt the shock once before in addressing an envelope but to miss bracy it was quite new yet she was the first to recover herself and while holding out her hand took quick note that the boy had frank's stature and eyes carried his clothes well and himself if shyly without clumsiness she could find no fault with his manner of shaking hands and when he turned to his father the boy's greeting was the less embarrassed of the two mr frank indeed had suddenly become conscious of his light suit and bird's-eye neckcloth but how did you come asked miss bracy we sent a cart to meet you i heard no sound of wheels yes i saw it outside the station but the man didn't recognise me quite a small crowd came by the train and of course i didn't recognise him so i bribed a porter to put my luggage on a barrow and come along with me halfway up the hill the cart overtook us the driver full of apologies while they transshipped my things i walked on ahead yes listen there it comes and oh i say what a lovely spot miss bracy was listening not for the wheels and not to the story but critically to every word as it came from his lips the woman has certainly done wonders was her unspoken comment at victor's frank outburst however she flushed with something like real pleasure she was proud of her cottage and garden and had even a sort of proprietary feeling about the view They sat down around the little tea-table the boy first apologising for his travel-stains he was in fact as neat as a pin and afterwards chatting gaily about his journey not talking too much but appealing from one to another with a quick deferent grace and allowing them always the lead this is better and better thought miss bracy as she poured tea and after a while but this is amazing. He was a thorough child, too, with all his unconscious tact. The scent of a lemon verbena plant fetched him suddenly to his feet with his eyes bright. Please let me. He thrust his face into the bush. I have never seen it growing like this. Miss Bracy looked at Mr. Frank. How utterly different it was from their old maidish expectations they had pictured the scene a hundred times and always it included some awkwardly decorous reference to the dead woman this had been their terror to do justice to the occasion without hurting the poor boy's feelings to meet his sullen shyness perhaps antipathy with a welcome which somehow excused the past yes the past they had felt required excuse to him and he had made no allusion to his mother and obviously wished for none miss bracy could not help smiling at the picture of their fears the boy turned caught her smiling and broke into a jolly laugh at his own absurdity it echoed in the garden where no one had laughed aloud for years and with that laugh Bassett's revenge began. End of section five.